What's up, everybody? Welcome back to episode two of season three of Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. As always, I'm Brendan, and I am sadly Taylorless today. Taylor was not able to record with us today, but thankfully, I have two very handsome gentlemen joining me for what is going to be a very fun episode. Both of our new pals from the Charging Buffalo, well, one new pal, one old. First of all, we have Jared Halt, who is the founder and creator of the Charging Buffalo. And of course, our, our good old pal from the Charging Buffalo, Bill, back to join us yet again. Fellas, how are you doing today? Bill, you can go first. <laughs> I'm doing well. It's great to be back. Um, you know, last time we were in person, so that's that's kind of a bummer. But next time, I'm, I'm down to get with you guys. And uh, yeah, I'm just excited to be back on and have you guys part of, you know, the Charging Buffalo and, and Jared can kind of speak more on that but uh yeah just super excited for for everything that's coming up here yeah like bill said obviously super excited to be working with you and taylor now and happy to get on here for the first time we've been trying to do this for a while so excited to talk some sabers i'm fresh i just like watched the preseason game last night i've been listening to podcasts and stuff today so ready to go i'm excited it's season's right around the corner so uh time to dive into it i guess who would have thought that, you know, thinking back to like midsummer that we'd be here now and, you know, end of September, early October and being like, yes, I'm ready to talk some savers. So this is good. <laughs> this is very, very good. Well, again, want to just thank you both for coming on. Um, Bill, to your point, I know last time, I think also that would have been the, the episode where with you and Walt, where we had our, our drinking trivia episode. So that one was a lot of fun. That's something that we're going to get going again for this season. So Jared, we'll have to have you on uh, whenever we end up doing that again, for sure. Just a little warning about about that that was definitely rigged against us by the way so jared forewarning if you do play that it, you're gonna lose all right i'll come prepared listen <laughs> listen no disrespect to you and walt love you guys both but i don't think there was anything else at play other than us just kind of kicking some ass at that game that's all wasn't even close yeah it wasn't close <laughs> i might have to go back and review the film here or something it, maybe the you should there admittedly some of the questions are, are were, were pretty crazy it was like just buffalo sports and then like regular sports trivia kind of like alternating back and forth and uh there were some some out there questions for sure maybe taylor and i got a little lucky with the draw the cards some of them but uh either way i guess that'll just mean that we'll have to run it back again and we'll get jared involved this time too for sure hey he's our ringer we're bringing him on very cool all right that's fair i, I can get down with that all right. So what I was hoping we would do today, uh, of course, with Taylor's absence and, and we're missing him and wish we could be uh, he could be here on this one. But I thought we could go through some of the key players on the Sabres roster for this year and have a roundtable of sorts where we each kind of go through. We'll go guy by guy. I picked out seven forwards, four defensemen, and then we'll just generally speaking, talk about the goalies. And again, these were guys that I identified just, you know, me personally as the ones who are. You know, if the Sabres are going to do anything this year and surprise, these are the guys that are going to really need to step up. And I think one of the things that's pretty interesting about this upcoming season, unlike any of the past seasons really throughout the drought, is that there is nobody on this roster right now where we know what we're going to get from them. You know, looking back to prior yeah. years, I mean, even the past handful of years, having Jack and Sam, they, we knew what we were going to get. For better or for worse, you also kind of knew that with Ristolainen and two. Whereas this season, it, it's really leaning into this youth movement right now. And even from some of the veteran guys, we, we just don't know. So to go through, I figured we could start off with the forward group. Um, really the name that's at the top of this list for me that I think is the name that 
everybody is going to be paying attention to maybe more than anybody else is Dylan Cousins, given the situation that he's in. With the departure of Sam Reinhart, the soon-to-be departure of Jack Eichel, whenever that ends up happening, Dylan Cousins is now put in a role of, of being this team's de facto first-line center. Whether or not he ends up getting those matchups in the deployment, that remains to be seen. Um, for reference, guys, on our, our last episode, on our, our season premiere, I brought up the point that, I sadly, the Sabres did not go out and get like a veteran center to kind of fill in that first-line role so that Cousins and Middlestat wouldn't be maybe put in positions that they're not ready for quite yet or not equipped for. Um, and I had used the, the thought of potentially – using like Gergensen's line and as kind of like the get your face punched in line pretty much so that it wouldn't be cousins who would be getting those matchups kind of using it as like a log line, but not nearly as good as the log line. Cause the key piece of the log line being Larson isn't there. Um, right. But we don't have that right now in terms of a, a guy who could step in a veteran center and, and really seemingly the, the, the option moving forward here as we are starting the season is that Dylan cousins will be that first line center. So where are you both at with cousins, you know, in terms of, do you think that he is ready to step into this role? And beyond that, what are you expecting from him this season? And what would you like to see from him that you would consider it a successful second year for him? Yeah, I'll start us off, Bill. Uh, I think you made some good points there, you know, especially just um, touching on guys like Gergensen's and the log line last year and how obviously, you know, Ralph Kruger was able to sort of lean on them when, you know, when you're facing the other team's top line and, you know, allowed Jack when he was playing and some of the younger guys to get those better matchups. And I think that's going to be one of the biggest challenges for him. I think, you know, Cousins is going to get all the opportunity to sort of take that reign as the number one center. But I do think you're going to see Granado try and protect him a little bit. I think, you know, this is a year, obviously expectations aren't high. And I think that this would be a good opportunity for him to, you know, play in some of those tough matchups and get that experience now and probably take some lumps. But at the same time, I think, you know, it is a long season and he is, like you said, he's probably going to be, um, you know, the face of the franchise pretty much going forward. So I think they are going to try and protect him a little bit. Like you mentioned, Gergensen's. I think, you know, whether, again, you know, whether it works out well or not, I think you are going to see uh, a guy like him, you know, probably be more in that sheltered role, um, you know, or more of the defensive role, um, you know, taking some of those, you know, defensive zone draws for Cousins and um, going against the other team's top line, trying to just make it difficult more than anything. But, you know, I think this is a year that, while it does seem like there would be like a ton of pressure on him, just kind of being pigeonholed into that number one center role. I think it's almost a bit of the opposite in that, you know, while he does probably have that pressure at the same time, I think, like I just mentioned, you know, this isn't a year where expectations are very high. And I think this, you know, should be communicated to, to guys like cousins and middle stack that, you know, there is going to be bad nights, but at the same time, you know, going up and struggling against a guy like, you know, Crosby or McDavid or whoever it may be like, that's going to benefit them more than on the line. And um, this is the time, you know, now than more than ever to do it. You know, Jack Eichel, like when he first came in, he had a guy like O'Reilly to sort of take some of that pressure off of him. And then, you know, even in his third and fourth year, like he was still had some, you know, struggles defensively and whatnot because he hadn't been forced into that role where someone like Cousins who comes in, I think, you know, maybe he like, again, will take his lumps a little bit in the beginning, but I think, years down the line when, you know, hopefully this team is competitive that you'll see this uh, payoff with guys like him and Casey that, you know, are in big roles. Bill? Yeah, I, I agree with everything Jared said. And um, the only thing I would really add would be just kind of, it, it depends on who his wingers are. Um, you know, he is someone that supports the defense pretty well. Um, and, and as long as he can get 
he or his, you know, defensive partners that are, that are out there with them, as long as they can get to the pucks to the wingers and those wingers are getting the puck out. I mean, that's pretty good. Now if you're putting him with someone like Olafson and Skinner. Yeah. That he might get caved in, but at the same time, if he's playing, you know, with, with guys that have a little bit like Anders Bjork and, and other, you know, wingers that might be able to uh, help in, in getting the puck out, you know, cleanly and, and getting them on transition. Cause that's where he's at his best. Um, you know, I, I think at this point, it's just a, you know, finding the matchups and, and, you know, offensive zone draws or, or neutral zone draws. And I know Granado is going to put a huge emphasis on getting them into situations that they'll face in the future, like late game defensive zone draws games tied and they need something there. So, um, you know, just lowering our expectations, like, yeah, like Jared said, he's going to have some bad nights. I think all of them are. Um, but at this point, it's just a, you know, picking your battles and, and finding the ways that, you know, this situation is going to be difficult for him um, as a second year player, but it's also, he's going to learn from it. So yeah, that might be, you know, getting dangled by McDavid and, and them scoring late in the game or something like that. But at the same time, I mean, that's the only way you're going to, to really learn and, and figure out how to play against those top players. Because when it comes to Dylan Cousins, I've always just viewed him as a, like a second line center. Who's just like O'Reilly, someone that's going to shut down, those players, but he also just needs to get that experience. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's the big thing with me is I don't have huge expectations for really any of them, but it's also, if they tinker with the lines a bit, um, you can kind of tell, you know, what role he might be playing. If they're putting him, like I said, with like Skinner and Olofsson, they're probably going to be hoping for some more offense. And, you know, if they tinker it a, a different way, um, you know, maybe then they're, they're looking more defensively and, um, when it comes to like Gergensen's, um, I'm not sure if we'll bring them up later, but I think he would be a good guy to to throw those really hard matchups against because he is tough to play against. And, um, you know, Middlestat, Cousins, and all the other younger guys aren't getting caved in, you know, period after period, shift after shift. Um, so I think that's going to be a lot on on the, the coaching staff and, and what Don Granado can kind of put together and, and shelter them a bit, like Jared mentioned. Just to jump in really quick, I think you I think you made a good point there too, kind of talking about the lines and whether or not they sort of load him up and put him with like Olsen and Skinner, like we saw at training camp last week, or if they try and spread it around a little bit more. I think it'll be really interesting because uh, if you go back to like the Sabres a couple of years ago, the year that Skinner like went off and scored 40 plus goals, like the Sabres were one of those teams and like they were in the playoff hunt at least for the first half of the season. But when they were doing well, like if you guys remember, they just loaded up one line. And, you know, the rest of the lines were, you know, Housley. So it wasn't necessarily like the most structured and, you know, perfect system in the world for the other lines. But really it was like, okay, this is going to be our offensive line. And then with the other lines, we're just going to do our best to, to shut down and just kind of bank on that top line to score for us. And kind of looking at the roster, I think, you know, you kind of have to put Cousins in that role just because, you know, like we've been saying, like if you want him to have the best year possible from a development standpoint, I think even if he is going to take his lumps a little bit, I think he's going to develop more and have, you know, just a better experience overall offensively and just, um, you know, you know, taking the, the main role with the team, you know, playing with guys like Skinner and Olofsson rather than sort of being in the middle. Like if you put him with a guy like Bjork and Thompson, you know, you're kind of putting him in that, that no man's no man's zone of like, you know, this, this line probably isn't going to produce like too much offense and, you know, they may not be like completely terrible defensively, but at the same time, like they're also not going to be relied on to shut down the other uh, team's top line. So 
I think it's best for both him and the team to sort of put him in that role right away and, you know, see if he can uh, take off and sort of be like one of the main offensive catalysts with the team. Obviously, if you somehow got in a situation that we're not expecting where you do put him in that first line role and he's just not producing any offense, then you might want to like bring it back a little bit. But I don't think that something like that would be a problem until maybe later in the season where we sort of see like, you know, some of these tough minutes and tough matchups in the schedule, you know, sort of weighing on him and because he is still very young. So um, you can expect that a little bit. But no, you know, just like I said, I think, you know, putting him in that role to succeed offensively more than anything right away would be good. And um, I don't think you'll expect, you know, Skinner, Cousins and Olsen to be doing too much defending against the other team's top lines. Yeah, and I, I think you guys brought up a couple of really good points in there that I just want to quickly touch on. One is expectations. Uh, something that Taylor and I have talked about a good amount really throughout the summer and, and leading into this season is that it feels like for the first time in a really long time, they actually know what kind of team they have and how good they are, you know, and I guess more so how bad they are is really what I should say. You know, with the past handful of years, I mean, they just did not have a clue as to really how deep you need to be as a team to be able to be a successful team and, and even taking it a step further, being a playoff team and, and a step further than that, a Stanley cup contender. I mean, looking at last off season is, is kind of the shining example of this. And I know that, you know, he, we dunk on it a lot, everybody, but Terry Pagula is saying, you know, Taylor hall was the piece that they needed to make the, them a Stanley cup contender that just flat out wasn't right. the case, you know, and then you look back even like a couple of years prior to that, where, they we have these expectations for them because it's like okay well now you know at the time you know jack and sam are 22 23 like they're stepping into their prime you know we need to surround them with talent we need to do this and that but in reality none of those teams were ever good enough to even become be close enough to being a playoff team whereas this year i think that they understand that they needed to tear it all down they needed to go through this rebuild re-rebuild i should say um and i think knowing where they are at is going to allow them to make proper deployment decisions. And with regards to the deployment, the other point that I wanted to touch on that you guys, I think both said is circling back to Granado. And I think one of the best traits that Granado has shown in his short stint as head coach is his adaptability. Kruger and even Housley to an extent too, would, I, I mean, it, it felt like it'd be pulling teeth for these guys to even break up some of the lines or to try out different combinations. Whereas with Granado, you know, obviously we all know his style with him being this fast paced type of coach where he wants to put an emphasis on scoring and offense, which is great and how teams succeed in the NHL today. But I think even more than that too, he's not going to be, you know, bashing his head against the wall and just doing the same thing over and over and over again, if it's not working. And I think that for them kind of tying the two together now, Having knowing what their expectations are for this year and knowing what kind of season is in store for them, where it's going to be all about development and not necessarily focused on winning, that's going to allow them to be able to adapt to different circumstances and allow them to try some different things out and get a little weird maybe with some of the combinations to see what clicks, what works, what guys are going to be, what guys play off of each other well. Um, and, and, you know, just ultimately what is going to be best for the development of all of these young players. And so while we're on this topic too, of young guys and, and talking about going down the middle and if we're all one gonna, more, oh, yeah, I just want to jump in because you made a lot of really great points there. And just something I wanted to add to that, um, you know, sort of going to, you know, this team knowing what they are and, you know, Granado's willingness to sort of change things around a little bit. I think that that's going to be absolutely huge this year, because like you said, like 
like the past couple of years, they've been in a position where they feel like, oh, we just need to tweak one piece here, add one guy here, you know, add a specific role player here. And that they're going to sort of, you know, magically fix things just because they have Jack and sort of these cornerstone pieces where now I think like Cody Eakin, for example, last year, I feel like they were like in a position where, okay, we signed this guy and we sent him to play this specific role. And that ended up, um, you know, causing a situation where you have a guy like Ruth Solanen who is more than primed to get called up and come up and contribute. And he doesn't even get an opportunity. So I think now or even um, guys like Matt Irwin getting signed and Ralph Kruger specifically saying he signed to be like a penalty kill specialist, like things like that is just completely unnecessary. Like you mentioned when the team is sort of in this position. And I think it's, it's going to be a great scenario because you don't have to feel forced to play guys that aren't contributing because you don't, you just don't have that responsibility. There's no, you're not really playing for anything. So you can have a guy like Rusalane come in or give more opportunity to guys like Quinn or Paterka, whoever it may be, even Brett Murray, uh, get, get looks at them because you you know what Cody Eakin is, you know what some of these um, later depth players are. So, oh uh, yeah, I just wanted to, to add to what you said there. No, that's a great point. And I think honestly, one of the, the signs that we all knew kind of early on, like maybe Granado's not too bad was that he was not afraid to bench Cody Eakin last year. We all know now, obviously, that contract is it was a mess of a signing to begin with and expecting a guy to to replicate a outlier career year season surrounded by like amazing players in Vegas, I think was we'll call it short sighted at best on Ralph Kruger's part, uh, which, again, thankfully, he is he is long, long gone now and in the rearview mirror. Uh, but moving on off of this, now, I do want to say one quick thing, just because it is something it. about getting stuck in your ways. Um, it's something I was thinking about today is how much damage did Ralph Kruger do to this team by just burying Jeff Skinner on the fourth line and re- just refusing to move him, just refusing. I'm sure Granada was losing his mind internally. Oh, yeah. Like how much damage did that actually do? Because like he signed here after a 40 goal season playing with Jack Eichel, like everyone was like calling Colleen. for it. just wouldn't do it. Yeah, even a guy like Darlene, obviously it was great to see him sort of work out of it. But, like, it wasn't like Granado was hired and instantly, it was like, we have the old Darlene back. Like, right. those coaches instill habits that, you know, stick with these players. Like, football, I think, is a great example where I was watching um, the Monday Night Football game and the Manning cast, they had uh, Matt Stafford on. And he was saying that going to a new offense, it's not even learning the new offense is the hardest thing. It's forgetting the old one. So I think for a lot of these players, you have that sort of instilled in you, especially a guy like Kruger, who is so defensive focused and worried about stick position and just, you know, almost trying to make it like football, like X and O's, like you need to be in this certain spot at a certain time where a guy like Granado comes in and he's like, okay, just play the game that you grew up playing and play to your strengths. And obviously it's paid off. I think those are two extremely excellent points and, you know, Skinner and Darlene are two guys that I, I of course have on this list too, that I want to talk about more. And I I think we can get into Skinner now because that, that is a a great analogy with like the unlearning being just as important, if not more important, I should say, than, than the learning aspect of it. And in Skinner, you know, Bill, you touched on it and, and put it so well there that, you know, you had this guy have a career season playing alongside Jack and let's not forget too that prior to coming to Buffalo even though he you know whether you want to call it struggles or whatever Skinner was no slouch we're talking about one of the best five on five scoring forwards in the NHL over the past five to ten years like undeniably and so 
you bring him here seemingly to put him next to Jack. You then do that and put him next to Jack knowing that if this guy goes off, he's a year from being a UFA and you're going to have to pay up because if you're doing this, like you're going to want to commit to him. You're not, even though it was a, a pretty light load in terms of what they ended up giving up for Skinner. Like if you're doing this, like you got to be ready to commit to it then. And they didn't even that like with Housley, they didn't even try and play him with anybody else. Like him and Jack were attached at the hip and it worked, which is fine. Like if, if you, if it works, it works. Like I get it, but you got to know the repercussions of that going into a season like that. And when you know that this guy is going to, if he goes off, is going to command a lot of money, which he did. So then you pay him $9 million and then you don't even play him with the guy that pretty much earned him a $9 million contract. I mean, it was baffling. And I think the thing that is, is reassuring about Granado that is a stark contrast to Kruger and, and all these other old heads in the NHL is that to me, it doesn't feel like Granado necessarily has like a doghouse for star players in the way that some coaches do. It was very, you know, Kruger's relationship with, with Skinner and how he handled that was very like Tortorella-esque almost, where it's like, is this guy actually not playing bad or are you just like punishing him for the sake of punishing him? Because in reality, even though Skinner was getting horrible line mates and matchups, he still was generating offense. And, and, you know, I, I just think that then it gets to the point where, you know, then you're trying to put him in these positions where he's maybe playing with more skill guys is in positions to succeed, but it's, it's almost too late at that point. I mean, you, you know, at the end of, of the Kruger era, I mean, you got to imagine his confidence is at an all time low, his trust in, in the coaching staff and the organization is an all time low. And then thankfully you have Granado come along who clearly sees the value that he brings to the table and, and not only what he can do, but recognizing what he's done. I, I mean, you know, with Kruger, it, it's not like we're talking about a fringe NHL guy, you know, we're not talking about like CJ Smith, where it's like, you got to make him earn it. Like Jeff Skinner has earned his place in the NHL has earned his place as a, you know, top six at best at worst middle six forward in this league. So looking ahead to this season, you're not going to have the benefit of playing him with Jack to see if we can get him back on track. However, I do think that playing him with cousins is very intriguing to me, given their styles where, you know, we're hoping that cousins is going to turn into this two-way play driver who's able to utilize his body and his skating to just get around guys and Skinner. I mean, he is as money in front of the net and just in like the dirty areas in front of the net as maybe any forward we've seen, at least in recent years with the Sabres, uh, you know, not to draw any comparisons or anything like that, but he has shown his worth and what he is good at. So let's talk, let's get into Jeff Skinner now, as, as I kind of just did with that two minute little ramble there. But uh, when we're talking about Jeff Skinner here, I mean, is it cousins that you want to see him next to? And do we think that it's a realistic possibility given the makeup of this team, specifically the forward corpse that we're going to get a guy who's going to be the, the 25 to 30 goal scorer that made a name for himself in the league. Like, do we think that that's a possibility? Yeah, I think, I, oh, oh, sorry, sorry, Bill. My bad. Um, no, no, it's all you. But yeah. Uh, you know, like you said, just sort of reflecting on the whole Kruger situation. It's wild. Like he was, literally doghouse from day one last year like i'm pretty he sure benched, didn't he? It, yeah but it, yeah, i don't know scratched. whether i don't know if it was the first day of training camp or what like it was very early last year that yeah that it was like because we we published an article last year 
I'm pretty sure it was titled like what is going on with Jeff Skinner or something like that, because the season hadn't even started yet. It was like, what are we doing here? But, you know, I think you made a lot of great points on Granado sort of just having a better idea of how to talk to the players and connect with the players and have empathy for a guy like Skinner that may struggle and just sort of understand that. I think that's one trait that you can, you know, very inherently see comes from um, sort of his background with like the NTDP and coaching these young stars when while they're teenagers, they probably have egos. They're, you know, playing at the most prestigious hockey academy in the United States. Like Granado, he came up with the right age of player uh, in his coaching career. And I think he understands how to work with these guys. Skinner isn't necessarily as young as a guy like Eichel, even that Granado would have worked with back then. But, you know, Skinner is still very, very young. He's still very youthful. And, um, you know, he f- sort of fits into that um, that type of person, I guess, that you would want your coach to be able to connect with. So I think, you know, going into this year, I think he's going to get opportunity right away. At training camp so far, we've seen him with Cousins and Olsen. I don't know necessarily that you want to. I know I was just saying maybe load up the front, the first line uh, a couple minutes ago, but I think Skinner and Olsen are two very similar players. So maybe you want to give one of those guys to Casey Middlestat. Obviously, Casey broke out last year with his goal scoring ability, even though he's traditionally been more of a playmaker. So I think it'll be interesting to see just, um, you know, what Casey's role is sort of and whether he keeps scoring goals or if he settles back into that playmaking role. But I think Skinner's a guy that could play with either him or Cousins. And we'll probably see it, uh, probably see him bounce around between those two lines next year. I don't think we're ever going to see him go back to the fourth line unless something drastic happens. But, um, you know, I saw someone, uh, I think Jay Fresh Hockey is a prominent analytics guy on Twitter. He, his bold prediction for the season the other day was that Jeff Skinner was going to score 30 goals this year. And I thought, I think that he is sort of in a similar situation to a guy like Cousins and sort of what I was touching on a little bit, uh, a little bit back in saying that, you know, even though Skinner sort of does still have that contract attached to him and this status and, you know, sort of the, the bad, uh, vibes hanging over from last year I think he's a guy that can sort of come into this year he's going to be comfortable under Granado and he's not going to have that pressure of you know I need to be a main guy if we want to make the playoffs I think he can just play his game settle back into the player he is and be one of the main focal points um, on a team like this I think maybe we'll see him get some power play time that's something that he really hasn't gotten at all uh, over the past couple of years and um, I think Granada will sort of give him opportunity at the start to get his confidence back. It'll be interesting to see who he plays with in the preseason uh, later this week. But I think that Skinner, obviously, he's, he's never going to live up to the contract at this point. But I think we will see him return back to a bit of the player that he was before. I could definitely see him scoring 20 to 25 goals. 30 is maybe pushing it. But if you have a breakout season from a guy like Cousins or Middlestat, um, I think you could see it. And especially if Granado sort of carries over that style of play that they were playing from last year, I think you can expect to maybe see some more high scoring games. If they are going to lose, it's probably going to be, you know, more of a a defensive lapse than it is, you know, a a tight scoring game. But, you know, I think hopefully this should be a bounce back year from him and um, that contract. Well, albeit not looking great, won't look as bad after this season. And Bill, before you come in, I want to just bring up one point about something that Jared had mentioned there. Well, two technically, but for one, yeah, I think once everybody kind of gets it in their head that he's never going to be a $9 million player, like the better off we're all going to be. But with that being said, though, he's 29 years old. However, historically speaking, the style of play that Skinner has and, and has been like the type of player 
it, it's conducive to having success into your thirties in your career. You know, he's not like a, he's not like Jamie Ben, like Jamie Ben is just like, he hit a wall because of just right. like the physicality aspect. Whereas with Skinner, I mean, his skating is a big hallmark, his, his finishing ability in front of the net. And, you know, those type of players tend to do well into their thirties without really think- like their quality diminishing. Yeah, I think going even more in depth on what you just said, I think his style of skating too, he's not a complete burner. Like we're not going to have, you know, you don't expect Jeff Skinner's speed to fall off at some point and then he's never going to be the same player again. He's not fast as it is right now and he's not going to get much slower, but his agility and his edge work, those are things like you just mentioned, like goal scoring, like just having a knack for where to be and tipping pucks and all that kind of stuff. Those are things that aren't going to go away. You see a guy like, Joe Pavelski is a little bit of a different skater, but I think he's in a bit of a similar mode mold in terms of the type of goal, goal score he is. We wouldn't on the top two lines, whether that's with Middlestad or Cousins, he's going to be playing there at least, you know, the second power play unit, but on the first one, probably somewhere roaming around the net. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say he would be in front, um, but with Sam Reinhardt, that was kind of his bread and butter with, with him gone. Maybe that is Jeff Skinner. You don't know. Um, he is, He's like slippery down there. He doesn't, he's not going to be like a Brett Murray type where you just can't really move him all that well. But at the same time, if he's just slipping away from the defenders the entire time, it's going to be really tough for them to, to prevent him from getting some kind of, you know, tip puck or, or rebound. So I just, I really think it's going to, whether it's a bounce back year from just like a, a goal standpoint, or if it's from, you know, just all the other things surrounding goals where it's, you know, the ice time and, and his, um, you know, dangerous chances. Um, I know an emphasis is going to be made on dirty goals and rebounds. So if he's creating those plays, then, I mean, I, I view that as a success. And I mean, we were really worried about his, you know, his salary or his, his cap hit. Now we really don't have to worry about that anymore. So like, right. I think it's just, you know, all systems go, you know, he's got a green light to just be who he is because like the biggest thing with me is, it's not like Jeff Skinner changed once Ralph Kruger got here. Like he's always been the same player. It's just Kruger had these expectations of you have to do blank. And, you know, I like this certain type of player and Jeff Skinner wasn't that. So fourth line for what, two years or whatever it was. So, I mean, I really think it's just going to be like a, like they're going to lean on all of his experience. He's been playing since he was 18 or 19, his rookie season. I mean, I really think it's going to be kind of a reverse and he's going to be heavily relied upon. And yeah, that might not come with some great defense, but like Jared said, um, you know, if they're going to lose it, at least it's not losing like one, nothing two one, it might just be a defensive lapse that hopefully in the future that they can just prevent. And, um, you know, maybe even, you know, have a, a goalie in place where, you know, you need a big save and, and they give it to you instead. Maybe this year we're, we're kind of expecting that that might not be the case, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just a, a complete reversal. Now, I could be wrong about that, but I, I just I really can't see any situation where he's not playing top six minutes and getting at least solid looks on the power play. And um, I wouldn't expect him to, to penalty kill, but that would be a cool thing if Granado did, you know, try to force some offense off the penalty kill. Uh, so I just I'm excited to see what it is. I can't really predict where it's going to go, but it's kind of the same thing with Cousins. If you look at his deployment, you'll, you'll kind of get a sense of what Granado is hoping for out of him. I think, you know, Brendan at the beginning of this said, like, we don't know our expectations really for any of these players going in, in, you know, 
any range of outcomes could happen. And I think Skinner is really like the biggest candidate for that category, just because, you know, if he has a 30 goal season somehow, it's like, where is this team? Like, obviously they're not, there's, we're still not expecting them to be very good, but I don't think that, a, you know, a season with Jeff Skinner scoring 30 goals and these other players improving and even just, you know, having some of the players that were taken off the roster from last season, I don't think that you're looking at a 50 point team like some people are projecting. Yeah. I also think with Skinner too, just something that needs to be said, not everybody has to be good at defense. There are some guys that just aren't as good at it and that is okay. As long as they Patrick are. Kane, yeah. Like play, you so know, you guys, allow them, like if you allow them to make up for it offensively, right then it's not a big deal. But if Dude, you're going to shove is... them on the fourth line with Saboka and whoever, and Tage Thompson, right. like, yeah, he's obviously not going to make up his makeup for his defensive lapses on the offense because they're probably pinned in their own end the entire time anyway. Right. Like, I, I know this is going to sound ridiculous and we'll get to him, but like, I don't even need Rasmus Dahlin to be that good defensively. If that dude's putting up like 60 point seasons, it, it, he, it makes up for it itself. It's, it's like the Eric Carlson thing. Like Carlson. Yeah. He, yeah even though obviously like at his peak in Ottawa was like elite, like two way, but like even still in some of his best seasons, his defensive metrics were not that good, both eye test and analytically. And it's okay because if you have a guy who is, whether it's a, a, like a defenseman who's making up like 60, 70, or you have a guy like Skinner, who's going to put up, if he puts up like 30 goals, I can live with him not being good defensively. If it means that we're not sacrificing offense. So let's keep it rolling with the forwards here with uh, a guy who we've talked about a few times so far, or at least have brought him up, Casey Middlestat. So Casey, as Jared, you had mentioned last year, had his big breakout. Pretty much his run under Granado was his best stretch of games of his entire career. And if we're being honest, too, I think even though, you know, he didn't have as much success on the score sheet when it came to playing under Ralph Kruger, he, from the get-go last year, I thought showed a lot of improvement, mainly in his skating, which I think is was probably his biggest weakness, or at least his most glaring weakness. You know, and, and with skating, that's kind of twofold. It's, you know, just the, the act of skating, his speed, endurance, edge work, agility, but also his I, endurance, I guess, really more so is what I meant. That's kind of separate in terms of the guy just seemed like he was exhausted out there. Sometimes he'd get a few, like 20 seconds into a shift. And I just remember from two years ago, just constantly seeing him just skating through the neutral zone. Like he was holding on for dear life. Whereas last year, his skating was just infinitely improved. He looked so much better in terms of just keeping up with the pace of the game. And because he is a skilled player and has pretty elite hands and stick handling ability and a damn good shot too. his improved skating just then elevated those other parts of his game, which is why I think we were able to see him have the success that he had. So looking ahead to this year, now we get a little bit of a taste of success with him last season. And I think it's understandable for people to maybe be worried that we're running into another post O'Reilly season in terms of him maybe being put in a role where we don't know if he's ready for it yet. That remains to be seen. However, again, as we had talked about at the top of the episode, thankfully we don't have the same kind of expectations that those past teams have had. So looking at a guy like Casey Middlestat, you know, I think it's pretty safe to say that he probably is never going to live up to his draft year hype and his, his post draft year hype with his excitement at like the world juniors and his dominance there. 
Um, but even though he may not live up to being a top 10 pick, that doesn't mean that he still can't be a productive player and a very productive middle six player for them. So Bill, why don't we start with you to switch it up on this one? What are you expecting from middle stat this season and to kind of tie it off or to, to close it off to what would be a, what would define a productive season or like a season that you would be happy about for middle stat? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think I w- it would just be a continuation of, you know, building endurance and muscle, um, you know, being able to fight off checks and kind of dart in and out of areas a lot easier. Um, you know, he's crafty. He can steal pucks from people. Um, he can, you know, stick handle inside of a phone booth. So he already has that. Uh, what I'd really like to see is just like a, you know, a con- staying on a goal scoring, you know, kind of, uh, you know, pace, I guess you'd say like what he was going under with, Granado, but at the same time, you know, also elevating his playmaking for his teammates um, or line mates, I guess. And I guess that kind of leads me into, I wonder if they'll actually put him with Asplund and Thompson again, because for a little, a, a chunk of last year, it was working. Now Thompson seemed to, to kind of fall off and the, and the line kind of dissipated, but it's something that they could go back to. I would assume um, that they would at least try. And so if he is going to be kind of the glue guy, for keeping Asplund and Thompson together and kind of creating a line that way, it kind of gives you options to, like we said earlier, put Skinner with Cousins and, and Olofsson and kind of counteract that, that general, you know, this is our scoring line. This is a, a secondary scoring line, at least in um, like the sense of, you know, th- they're not getting the, the best defensive line from the opposition. So I guess in, in the point of, again, going back to what I've said on other players, it's going to, to vary on his deployment. But I think a successful season is playing with guys like Asplund and maybe Thompson or someone else that, you know, could, could fill in on maybe like the second or third line. Um, and he's being a playmaker for them. He's not only, um, you know, scoring more goals like he was last season, but he's also elevating his playmaking ability too. And, I think, like you said, um, he, he has the abilities and it was his skating that really kind of brought it together and his endurance that, that brought it together. And I think, again, that can happen. Um, I just want to see an elevation. Uh, I don't really want to put a point total or a goal total on it. I just want to see him making the plays that, you're, that stand out. I want to see, you know, once in a while, I'd like to see, see him wow us and be like, wow, I can't believe he did that. Um, because he, he has the ability to do it. Um, the more consistently he does it and the more he's able to um, – make his linemates around him better. I think he'll be a productive center. Now, if it kind of falls off the track where he's really not doing that, he's kind of getting chilled defensively. I also don't mind putting him back on wing. So um, again, this is another kind of depends on where Granado takes it uh, kind of depends on his linemates as well. But if he is playing with guys like Aspen and Thompson, be that playmaker that you were, really elevate their games and and you're kind of solving a problem because you don't really know where to put Dage Thompson and Rasmus Asplund I believe has has earned an NHL spot but it's kind of like where do you put him so if he can kind of be the the glue for those two guys then it kind of opens up other opportunities around her lineup yeah I think you guys both made some good points talking about um you know the conditioning stuff and in the strength and everything like that I think for me I was a very very big fan of Casey Middlestack coming out and, you know, a lot of people were quick to jump on him um, when, you know, the, the production didn't necessarily follow in college and um, when he first came into the NHL and, and all that. But 
Um, you know, I think that, I think really it was the, the endurance was the main thing that he, he needed to improve on. I think that he's an insanely creative player. I think his hockey IQ is one of the best on the team. I think that's really what makes me confident that he's going to sort of pick up from where he left off last year. Um, I think that really, like we've mentioned with a lot of these players, I think just having that sort of freedom to, to play his game, not feel like he's playing, you know, for his life in the league. Like if you guys remember last year, like he started on the taxi squad, like he's not even, he wasn't even getting the playing opportunity in Rochester. So when you're in that position, you feel like you're literally fighting for your career. And now he's in a position where, you know, I think that he'll feel a little more relaxed. He'll feel like he's in a position to thrive. And I think he'll have all the opportunity um, when it comes to the power play. And when it comes to, to big minutes, I think like we talked about with cousins, I think there will probably be some nights that, Middlestad's the number one center and you know he, he gets the opportunity to have those tough matchups or um, you know not even necessarily have the tough matchups in the sense of playing against the other team's top line but what is the Sabres number one offensive line that the other team is trying to shut down so I think that'll be interesting to see um, and then going back to what I said about the taxi squad and, and the endurance I think it it'll just be interesting to see um, you know whether he can keep that up over a full season and whether you know that that holds um and he's able to be a consistent player because again, like he came in at the end of last year and um, you know, he did thrive and, but that was still a relatively small sample size. And, you know, we sort of had the same situation when he came in uh, when he just signed out of Minnesota, he played eight games with the Sabres and that, you know, as you mentioned, Brennan um, with the, with a lot of the post draft hype, like his season in Minnesota and the world juniors helped with a lot of that, but really where a lot of that stemmed from too was, he came in with the Sabres and looked really good and put up points. So I think, like you know, just wanting to something like that. And that's, yeah, I think seven yeah. points in eight games. Um, so I think, you know, just seeing that continuation of like Bill said, I don't think putting a point total on it is necessarily fair, but sure. um, I think just seeing that he's able to play a full 82 games in, in be in a top six role that he's actually able to, to somewhat thrive and, and not, you know, just be getting absolutely killed every night. Absolutely. I think that you both made some key points there. And I agree that Middlestad especially is one of those guys where it's hard to have like a prediction, like, Oh, I want him to have X amount of points or X amount of goals or whatever, because it's more just like Bill had said, like a continuation of last year and seeing that, you know, his skating is especially is, is continuing to translate and, and he's able to excel at the NHL level thanks to his skating, because that just sets up, you know, the rest of him, you know, as as, it's a little bit different from like Sam Reinhardt, for example, where Reinhardt really wasn't the fastest skater either, but similar to your point there, Jared, his hockey IQ is just off the charts and his passing ability and his just ability to just like, carry the puck in the offensive zone like that is what made Reinhardt really successful you know it wasn't because of his skating and so not that they're necessarily the same player they have to be the same player but those traits that he has between his hockey IQ and his stick handling ability his creativity you know even though his his skating may not be the the hallmark of his game that doesn't mean that he still can't be a very very productive player in the league so yeah and just going back really yeah. quick to, to when he was a prospect, like obviously playing against worse competition too, you know, his, uh, his talent took over. He didn't need to necessarily be the most refined skater, have the most refined stride like he does coming into the league now. 
But now you see that his skating's caught up and his endurance is caught up where he's able to go back and be the same player that he was in high school and at the World Juniors where his skating and his endurance, once it's on par with you know the level of competition, then his other talent can take over. But if he's at a disadvantage, um, you know, conditioning wise, then you're not going to be able to thrive and, you know, fully see the potential of all the other skills and, um, you know, smarts that he has. Well said, well said. Let's move on to Victor Olofsson next, because I think he is especially a pretty interesting case. Um, you know, Olofsson now is going to be entering into his third full season in the NHL. Uh, you know, his, his first full season in the league, of course, he put up uh, 20 goals, 22 assists, 42 points, and I think it was like 54 games. Um, last season, of course, we had the abbreviated year with COVID and everything. And, you know, all of a sudden we, we know who he is to an extent, you know, he is a pure shooter. One of our, one of the best shots in the NHL, if we're being honest, just with his, his release, the speed, his accuracy, he, he has, you know, has proven that he can be a productive player in this league. However, the caveat to that is, is that he's one of those guys that just, does not produce at five on five as as nearly as well as he does on the power play. He is a pure full on power play specialist. And to be honest, I even last year was beating the drum a bit, even though I know that obviously he's good and he has a place in the league and could be a valuable asset. I almost felt like they should have traded him this off season to a team that maybe is closer as like a piece away or or needed some extra help up front, who is a, a definitive contending team where you know, you can kind of convince them maybe that he's a little bit more valuable than he actually is, or his style is a little bit more useful to them than it will be to the Sabres. Because at this point, I mean, you're, you're going to need guys who are going to be able to produce at five on five, you know, if you're playing in like a top six role like that. Um, but of course that obviously didn't end up coming to fruition. He's going to be on this team seemingly getting top line deployment at worst, probably second line deployment. And so, you know, from Olofsson, the, it kind of goes into, and maybe I guess almost contradicts my point before from before where it's like, you don't need guys who are great defensively. And I don't think you do with him. I think that on a good team, a Victor Olofsson is extremely valuable. But with that being said, though, knowing where this team is at and what, you know, expectations are, you know, not even like the, the general, you know, league wide, just more so in the context of the three of us talking. I mean, what are we trying to see from Victor Olofsson that would qualify as a good year for this year? And do we think that he has a long-term future on this team? So you can take this one first again. Yeah. Um, I mean, re- I, realistically, it's just seeing more five on five production, whether it's, you know, goal scoring or, or getting more assists, um, we kind of know what he is defensively, which is, is like the same thing as Skinner. But again, if you're putting up points, like it, it, it'll make up for it. Um, you know, realistically, and I hate to say it cause I really like him, but I kind of want to see him traded too, just because like, if you can get an asset back from, especially if someone's offering you like a, like a first round pick or something like, or like a conditional second. And even if it's a team that's going to the playoffs and it's going to be like late first round, like you definitely take that. We saw like some teams have issues on the power play, and that could have been like the bane of their their playoff run. And I think some GM out there is going to be like, we really need to beef up our power play. Let's call Buffalo. Um, but at the same time, like if he sticks around, then you know, getting them players like Cousins and Middlestat, and um, you know, I'm I, I don't really know how well he would fit with Skinner. I feel like that's kind of they're a little bit too similar to maybe be on the same line, unless 
the person that's at center is is really good at distributing both to the the right and left side but um yeah i mean i would just say more five on five points it's you know kind of low-hanging fruit but at the same time i mean if he can do that he already has a power play locked up he's not a penalty killer um if he can put up put up more five on five points i mean that's only going to boost his his trade value and i mean if the sabers are really committed to a rebuild he might be a guy that by the time you know, they're, they're really ready and, and his skills would be really useful in a sense. It's kind of like past his prime or he's, you know, looking to go elsewhere. So um, I'm, I'm just not like I, I'm advocating like he needs to be traded, but that's kind of what I would expect at least right. for teams to give calls on it. It just depends on what the market is, but for a good season for Olofsson, it's just more five on five points um, because we already kind of know what he does elsewhere. And so, yeah. Um, yeah, I think at that point, and if he can be more of a playmaker, that'd be awesome. But, I mean, the shot's just so ridiculous that using that as a threat is is good enough for me. And and Jared, before I turn this over to you, I kind of wanted to just pose this point if you'd want to speak on it too. But to the point about the trade deadline, is Olafson like, to me, he seems like the most perfect example of a guy that they would use as like a trade bait for, for the deadline for that coming around, because you're not going to trade any of the young guys, even if things are going South Skinner, even if he is productive, nobody's taking that contract on really on the defensive end. I mean, maybe you could talk like we could talk about like Will Butcher and, and we will talk about him a little bit later, but Olafson to me kind of seems like if they are trying to make a move at the deadline or trying to pick up futures, he is kind of like the marquee piece for them to do that with. So Jared, if you want to take it from there. Yeah, I've had a, a lot of similar thoughts to both what you said and what Bill said sort of about his trade value. And um, I think Bill made a really great point about his age and sort of the development curve of the rest of the team, because I think as you guys both said as well, like he's a, perfect prime player to go to a contending team and be potentially that that last piece or just a supplement to uh, a struggling power play on a good team or something like that so I think and going back to the trade deadline point yeah I think looking at the roster there's not many other trade chips that really make sense obviously uh just value value wise um you have that extra like Florida first round pick but as a team that's rebuilding you're not going to be looking to move that for a roster player and be more so moving a guy like Olofsson for another pick or, or, you know, another young player or whatever it may be. So, um, yeah, I think in terms of actual expectations when it comes to, to hockey, I think, yeah, any, any improvement on the five on five side, I think um, is a great point for both you guys. And, um, you know, similar to, to Skinner and some of the other players we've talked about too, though, I think we do for the most part know what he is as a player. I don't necessarily think he's as bad of an all-around player as some of his metrics may always, you know, show or whatever it may be. I think he is like a solid all-around player, but I don't know. You just have guys that are goal scorers like him that tend to just try and, um, you know, find open space and get open for a shot more so than um, carry play and drive play themselves. And I think, you know, sometimes that that shows negatively defensively and um, just on overall impacts, but yeah, I think you sort of know what you're getting from him. Um, it'd be interesting if he could have sort of a breakout season five on five, because obviously, you know, looking at the roster, you know, other than Skinner, you're going to be leaning on a guy like Olafson if you want this team to, to even be average um, when it comes to, to five on five goals. So um, I think it'll be interesting going back to your point, Bill, about whether or not you want to play him and Skinner together. I think 
if you put them with a guy like Cousins, you're sort of just handcuffing yourself a little bit in terms of, um, you know, that play driving and, and all the other things that come and lead up to a goal before the actual goal itself. So I think it'll be interesting to see him spread around a little bit, but he, you know, he seems like the type of player as well that should do well under Granado. And, you know, I think they know what they have there in the power play and he's going to continue to be a threat there. So um, I think it'll be much of the same for Olofsson. And, you know, that, as we mentioned that a trade could potentially uh, be on the table if they are able to get some good value for him. Very well said. Very well said. Well, let's keep it rolling here because we still have a handful of guys to get through. Uh, let's get on to or get back to some of the younger side here. Uh, Rasmus Asplund is the guy I want to bring up because Bill, I think you kind of mentioned it before he last year, I think cemented himself as being a legitimate NHL player, you know, before then there were definite questions about whether he was going to be able to, to hang, especially, you know, when you look back, um, it's kind of ironic now that him and Mark Pesic are teammates, considering that, you know, his acquisition came yeah. from acquiring that pick from Florida when they had also swapped uh, Pesic and Dmitry Kulikov. But Aspen, I think, you know, he's a guy that even though he is young, we know what he is. And if he is a solid two-way bottom six forward, um, I mean, you know, he's not going to put up crazy point numbers, but you know, whether he is a guy that maybe, maybe he is somebody that can kind of make Casey Middlestat tick a little bit more, or maybe he's just a guy that, you know, at the end of the day, his value comes from just being a solid fourth liner or something like that. I think he's, he's the kind of guy that maybe compared to almost anyone else on this forward list that having tempered expectations is like totally okay. And I'm totally fine with um, cause he's, he's just, he's not a game breaker, but that's okay. Cause there are values for players like him. So Jared, if you want to kind of take this, what are, what are we expecting from Asplund this year? Yeah, I think Bill, something he said earlier was that he can sort of be that glue type of player for a guy like Middlestat. And I think he was one of the more impressive players out of that, you know, handful of young guys that came up at the end of the last season and, and did well under Granado. I don't have the stats on hand, um, with Asplund exactly, but, he was impressive offensively too. Like obviously, as, as you mentioned, he's more touted as sort of a, a bottom six or two way guy that, you know, really should be able to play anywhere moving forward. But I think offensively, like he was really impressive. I think he's a really smart player. And I think, you know, moving forward, I, you know, I think his numbers may fluctuate a little bit from year to year, unless he is able to sort of settle in as like your third line, um, you know, sort of anchor. But I think he is sort of that perfect type of guy that, even, you know, on an odd night that you need him to take more of that defensive responsibility, um, you know, than a guy like Middlestad or, or Cousins. I think he's able to do that and really just move up and down the lineup and be a supplement to, to some of the younger guys and be, even as a young guy himself, be more of a consistent and relied on player for Granado when they get into those tougher situations and tight scoring games. Bill? Yeah, I think uh, his versatility is something that's definitely, um, you know, I, I'd say like cherished in a way where like you can play center, you can play wing. Um, unfortunately, in hockey, injuries happen and they might need to put him at fourth line center and he can do that. So maybe they need him at like second line left wing. He can also do that too to, to play with middle set or something. Um, I think realistically, again, it's about how Granado uses him. But I think even if he does end up on the fourth line with like a Giergensen's, and whomever else would, would play with him, maybe an Akpozo. So, like, you know, you're, yeah, I think you're always going to get the same thing out of Giergensen's and Asplund, which is just constant effort. They're going to be energy out there. And if you're really looking for that, I think that can be effective. Now, um, that I don't think that's going to be really conducive to him, 
you know, putting up a lot of points and anything like that. But there have been times where he does get dirty goals and um, he does get to the rough areas. And, you know, he is someone that if you put him with like a gear since they really can't cause some havoc. Um, I would really like to see him establish himself as a penalty killer as well. That'd be, that'd be awesome. Because again, that versatility, if you need him to play center or wing. Um, and I mean, He's not really much of a shooter, but he does have decent puck skills and he is, you know, he knows how to use his teammates. So if he does see some maybe like second power play unit time, um, I, I I wouldn't be necessarily surprised. But yeah, I, I think he is one of those glue guys where you can kind of put him anywhere and it, and it should work out. Um, I think at this point, it, it's mostly just saying like, is he going to be put into a role where he can, you know, be the be the defensive person in a line with like Middlestat and Thompson because like those guys again like they're going to be focused more on the offensive side and they have someone to kind of fall back on a bit um or is he going to be with someone like Jurgensen's uh who again it's just constant energy and and they're you know maybe they can be some kind of shutdown line too um because Asplund has been someone that has shown that he's he's solid defensively so um yeah I mean I, I think it's just kind of finding which role he needs and and to have a really good season, to be able to fill multiple roles properly, you know, to be able to play with the middle stats, the Skinners, the Olofsons, whomever it is, and being able to, to kind of fill on the third, fourth line. Um, I think that's a good season for Aspen. And, um, you know, I think he's going to be one of those guys where it's kind of with Gergensen's, um, I'm not sure if we're even going to be bringing him up, but like, I think we're going to realize this year how much we missed him last year. And I think for any reason, if Asplund is in the lineup this year and then comes out for any reason, I think you'll see a difference and, and kind of be like, they're, they're missing a little something somewhere. And I think that's going to be kind of like the feeling that for any reason, if, you know, God forbid he goes down with an injury or for some reason, they just need to shake up. Like there is, he does bring that energy and that two-way uh, play that you just need in your bottom six. Um, you know, not everyone can be uh, completely defensive minded, like no, no offensive talent, but also you can't have people that are constantly offensively minded. So um, I think he has like a nice blend of, of each and he has a versatility to play on the inside and the outside. Very solid points all around there, fellas. So let's, let's keep it rolling. I only have two forwards left here. Sadly, Zemgus Gergensen's is not one of them, Bill, but let's move on. Breaks to- my heart. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But <laughs> let's move on to the oldest prospect in the world, Artu Rustalainen. Somehow we are we are still considering him a prospect at 23, going on 24 years old. But he is heading into now his first full season in the NHL. He, of course, had a short stint at the end of last season where we mainly saw him get time with Dylan Cousins and actually looked pretty solid and showed a fair amount of goal scoring prowess, too. You know, he started the season with Rochester, I think pretty much from right off the bat, people felt like he could have played in Buffalo the entirety of last season, just given his professional experience in playing in the Liga. But we are now getting a chance to really see what this guy is and if he is could potentially be a part of the long term plan here. Um, You know, as I had mentioned before, he had gotten some playing time with Cousins last season and i'm definitely very curious to see that if they don't end up going the route of the the skinner olafson and and cousins line or just removing one of them if you'll see him get an opportunity there you know w- could we potentially see uh, a skinner cousins roost a line in first line for at stints 
you know, the other side of that though also is that he has a background at center and they seemingly want to potentially try and use him as their third line center this year, which I'm also pretty interested in. So Rusalainen, you know, uh, it's kind of a theme with a lot of these guys when we're talking about like flexibility and what they can bring to the table, because that added flexibility can just make a guy all that much more valuable. So Rustalainen, you know, we don't really know what he is yet or how his game will translate to the NHL level at a, at a full 82-game season here. So, Bill, why don't you take it first? Rustalainen, you know, do you think that he has the ability to maybe be like a plug-and-play guy on that top line, or do you think that they should really just try and mold him into maybe like a third-line center for them? Yeah, I think it's kind of like an Asplund situation where like he does have the versatility to play on the first or second line, something like that, or he can play in the bottom six as well. Um, I think he's more of a like a goal scorer and more offensively, not talented, but he, he just has a better way of, of getting pucks into the net than, than Asplund does. Uh, maybe Asplund's a better, you know, like puck skills and puck mover. But um, I really think like if they're, for, again, just kind of like bring up injuries or if they really need to shake stuff up or maybe they want to spread the wealth because like one of the things people brought up is like, maybe we don't play Olsen as much. We put him on the third, fourth line, but then obviously he's out there on every single power play. Um, if his five on five play isn't all that great. So um, yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like they need him at center realistically. I mean, John Hayden has been relatively impressive, um, but I'm not sure if you're really like who else is, is Kierigenson's going to play the third line center in that situation. Um, so when it comes to roots line and I mean, I, I think it is, if he is going to, um, just show that he can play center at the NHL level consistently over an 82 game season and really being a kind of like a catalyst offensively for his, his team, like making sure he's getting to the open spaces where his teammates can't give him the puck. Like I would assume, I would assume if he's on the third line, he's probably playing with like an Anders Bjork and maybe like a Tage Thompson. It's, it's kind of like a weird mix once you, once you kind of like settle the top six. Um, so it, it really depends on who he's playing with, but just the versatility again, just much like Asplund where you can plug him and in, into the first, second line. Um, he is one of those guys that as a left-handed shot, he can play on the right side too, which, you know, is pretty valuable as well. So um, I think when it comes to like a successful season for him, it really comes down to how effective can he be in the roles that he's given. But the biggest one is, can you be a center at the NHL level? Like, I believe he can be, I'm not 100% convinced. He's just a smaller guy. And that doesn't really convince me defensively, but at the same time, I mean, like you don't guys like Braden point proved like you don't need to be the biggest guy to play center in the NHL. Like that's kind of a stark difference. Braden points, Braden point and R2 roots aligning is R2 roots aligning, but it is kind of a it, an experiment in the sense where like, let's put him at center, give it our best shot, see what he can kind of do there. And can he help produce both goal wise and playmaking wise? And then your fallback is just putting him on the wing because like, again, you showed that he can play well with cousins. And again, if you, if you do want to put him on the first line, it is one of those. Remember when Olofsson said, I had to get used, my lungs had to get used to playing that much time. Cause it just, I wasn't used to it. I was playing with Jack Eichel and, and Sam Reinhardt, it was pretty wild. So, like, can he keep up with that if they do put him on the first line? Because that also opens up opportunities to use guys like Skinner or Olofsson, um, you, you know, other goal scorers in, on other lines and, and kind of mix and match that way. So um, I think just showing he does have that person totally kind of like Asplund would be uh, would be a really good season for him. Yeah, I think, 
you know, you took the words right out of my mouth comparing him to Asplin and, you know, saying he's just a bit better of a goal scorer. And I, you know, that was literally exactly what I was going to say. I think that, you know, I think they will start him at third line center, just, you know, probably going into the assumption that Cousins and Middlestad are one and two. And at that point, you know, you might as well just kind of round out the bottom two lines with probably him and Gergensen's as your other two centers. But, you know, I, I completely agree in the sense that he is a guy very similar to Asplin that if you do want him to move up the lineup, he could play that role. And I think, you know, going back to our, our first line uh, discussion from earlier and whether or not you really want to play a guy like Skinner, maybe with Olofsson, um, I think guys like Asplin and guys like Rutzelainen are, you know, perfect uh, supplements to a first line like that. And they're able, like a guy like Rutzelainen, especially, you know, as me and Bill both, both mentioned, maybe more than Asplin, if he goes up to the first line, you know, maybe you do see that goal scoring come out a little bit more uh, like we saw last season, getting to play with some talented players. Yeah, I think that he really, we just, we, we don't really know yet. And I'm really looking forward to see if his game is going to translate and if last year was a fluke or if he actually does have the ability to, to stick with it and, and be a productive goal scorer in this league. Um, you know, again, he's another guy that I, I don't really know where we would say for like a, a productive season in terms of like a point total or a goal total, but, you know, depending on his deployment and his minutes, if he's kind of split between either like a third line role or first line, whatever it may be. I mean, if he's the kind of guy that can, you know, this year, if he puts up in like the 15 to 20 goal range, you know, I, th I think you, you take it and run with it and, and look at it as a success for sure. So before we uh, move on to the defense, I have one last guy that I want to bring up and, and get your guys' thoughts on. Tage Thompson. He, of course, was the key piece in the O'Reilly trade. Sorry to tell you uh, Patrick Berglund's truthers out there, but uh, Tage was the, the key piece in return there. And needless to say, he has not lived up to maybe the unfair expectations that were placed on him upon his arrival here. He has a lot of raw talent and his stick handling ability. Sometimes he gets a little bit too cute with it, but his stick handling is undeniably really solid. Um, he is, of course, stands at six foot six. So he's a big body, but really last year was kind of starting to show a little bit, um, especially in a sit in the AHL to, to properly use his body. Because before that, he, you know, if you're that big, you should use it to your advantage. And he just flat out wasn't doing it. So, you know, he's had the injury bug biting him a bit over the past couple of seasons. And we don't really know what we have there either. Is, is he the kind of guy that is actually going to be, to be frank, an NHL player? We, we just don't know. He's got the tools. He's got the physical traits, but he's just not been able to put it together. So, Jared, start us off here. Tage Thompson, do you think that he has a place in the NHL as a consistent, like, middle six winger? Or do you think that he's just a guy that was drafted due to his raw skills and his size and, and his abilities, but he's just never going to be able to actually put it together. Yeah. I think that, you know, this is a bit of a make or break year for him, obviously. And, you know, I think you made some great points there and it, you know, it's one of the things that has made him so frustrating to follow is that he has all the talent, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, could he possibly be like a middle six winger and with him, you know, I don't necessarily see him being you know a bottom six player ever you know I think for him it's a bit of a tough situation where he is so such a high-end offensive player that 
he is sort of a make or break top six player. I don't think he's necessarily going to be one of those guys that you, you know, he doesn't work out as a top six guy that you end up molding into a bottom six guy. Obviously he has, you know, the package with his size and um, just the skill level to potentially, you know, have the mold of a player like that. But I think, you know, just with the type of player he tries to be, I don't think he'll ever be that type of player that you want in your bottom six. That's going to grind it out and, you know, play that sort of style. I think he's very similar to Olafson in the sense I, you know, Tage is better at carrying the puck and, you know, a lot more skilled with his hands, but I think he's a very similar player in the sense that he's going to try and get open and he's going to need someone to get it to him. But, you know, at the same time, going back to, to his, his uh, stick handling and his playmaking ability, you know, again, I think that's just what, what has been so frustrating is there's nights and there's flashes and there's, you know, just single rushes up the ice where you're like, you know, this guy could legit be a 30 goal scorer. Like, how is he not a 30 goal scorer? He has an incredible shot. He has amazing hands. He's huge. He, he's a relatively smart player. I think that's one of the, you know, again, just more frustrating things with him is that, you know, he has sort of flashes of like a very good hockey player. I think, I think with Tage, you know, he has a little bit of that Rasmus Ristolainen syndrome oh, no. from the very beginning my... of his career where, <laughs> yeah, you just, you see this extremely talented player and he has all the tools, but right now he's just an extremely talented ball of clay and you need Don Granado to come in and mold him into to something great. Man, that's the kiss of death. Rasmus Ristolainen syndrome. <laughs> Jared, that's payback. That's, that's payback because that's exactly what I was going to say is like Tate reminds <laughs> me of Rasmus Ristolainen where like physical specimen, really like good skill-wise and stuff like that, but just has those mental lapses. And you're just like, dude, what is going on? Like last last year um, on uh, Shameless Plug on the Sabermetrics podcast, um, hosted by the Charging Buffalo, uh, <laughs> the – shameless Come I, on. I was loud and proud yeah fair enough yeah um but yeah i was basically like a, a tage thompson truther i was like you know this is it's going to be his year like he has a shot he has a hands he's gonna you know you just need to get him the puck like jared was saying and it man like just i think it was like a three-game stretch where he just brutal turnover after brutal turnover and it's just like stuff like you can't it, it just can't happen man like right. this is the nhl and um, he has a wicked shot, but it, it almost seemed at points like he finally started using it. He had like that, I, I think, like game tying goal late in, in one of the, the games once Granado was a coach. But um, I mean, it, it was few and far between. Um, and especially like I would like to piggyback off what Jared said, too. Like he isn't really a bottom six guy. Yeah. He just he just really isn't. So it's kind of like a Nylander thing where he's like not necessarily good enough to play in your top six and with the skill guys because he makes got some like brutal errors and i mean like he is a taller guy so it was like his reach does help him defensively but even then like sometimes it's not great like everyone gets burned and stuff like that but um he's he's also you know not a not a bottom six guy either who's who's throwing his weight around he plays a lot smaller than than he actually is so i just i i think it's a good point of saying like he is kind of like clay and and kind of see like what you can mold out of him because i I just, I don't know. I, I really don't. And, and at this point it's like, I mean, at least we know like what a Pozo is and, and some of these guys, other guys on the right side where it's like, we don't really know where you are. Like, do you have a place in this lineup? Um, so it's kind of like a stark difference this year for, for me is like, do you actually belong in this lineup? Like I believe he belongs on the roster, but is he an extra forward? Like, 
that might come back and bite me in the butt and he might have a really good season. I really, I would love him to, but I mean, after going so hard saying like, this is, this is his year. And then him kind of flopping last year again, it was under Kruger and I would hope it's a lot better under Granado. And I really do want him to have an awesome year, but it is a make or break year. And I just, I don't know. I mean, maybe if they can find them the right, the right line mates, maybe, like I said before, maybe if that Asplund middle stat Thompson line really clicks, that'd be awesome. Um, but other than that, like he's kind of lost. He's in no man's land in a sense where he's not good enough for your top six, but he's also not the kind of player you want in your bottom six, like Jared said. So I don't know, man. It's it's a tough one with Tage Thompson. I mean, I again hope it works out and, and hope he can kind of find his niche and stuff like that. I think he did try to get a little bit tougher. He did take on Kevin Miller of the Boston Bruins after someone forgot hit about that. from that behind. Was, that was ugly. That was tough. <laughs> but like I I give you tons of props for standing up to Kevin Miller. I mean, we all kind of knew how that was going to go. The second I saw 86, I was like, oh, dude. Uh, but, like, it's just one of those things where – That got put on a t-shirt. That's not him. Did it? Oh, great. Well, you guys I mean, that's just – That's not his game. Punched? Yep. Oh, man. Oof. I mean, that's just not his game, and, and we all kind of know it. And so I would love it for him to be his game, to be like that sweet hands, like offensive-minded, but also kind of, you know, like a pest and – and throws his body around and stuff like that. Maybe he starts that this year a little bit more. So it just, I'm, I'm interested to see where he starts a season and then like five, 10 games in, if they're trying to change stuff up to kind of see where they move him. Like, is right. he pulled out of the lineup? Who knows? They might even put him at center. I it's just, I, I really don't know where he fits. Good points all around fellas. Yeah. Tage is, is certainly a polarizing player. And I, I think that you hit the nail on the head that this year is, is make or break. And that's putting it lightly, actually it's make or break. Like this guy's got to figure it out right now. So before we move on to the defense, we quickly have to give a quick shout out to our wonderful sponsor, DraftKings. Week three of football is in the books, and now it's time to review the tape and get ready for week four with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off another action-packed week, DraftKings is giving new customers $150 instantly when they bet $1 on any football game. Listen up, because you don't want to miss this. Head to DraftKings Sportsbook app now and place a bet of $1 on any game this week to receive $150 in free bets instantly. $1 and then you get $150 free. That is just ridiculous. If Sportsbook is not yet available in your state, DraftKings still has huge cash prizes for up for grabs all season long with their daily fantasy contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So what you have to do to make this happen is download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code THPN for the Hockey Podcast Network to receive $150 in free bets when you place $1 uh, $1 bet on any football game. Excuse me there. That's promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. All right, fellas, now that we're done talking about gambling, let's talk about Rasmus Darlene. So, Darlene, Jared, you had kind of talked about it earlier. Ralph Kruger pretty much damn near broke this man after a historic rookie campaign where seemingly we, were, we knew we were going to be getting a franchise defenseman, a franchise-altering defenseman. He just took 
so many steps back under Ralph Kruger. And that was in large part due to the style of play that Ralph Kruger was asking him to play. As you had also mentioned, Jared, it was more of like an X's and O's thing and trying to get him to be this like defensive stalwart, which is realistically just not who he is. And, you know, to me, and I know Taylor and I have talked about this a bunch. I don't need Darlene to be this, you know, defensive powerhouse. Like he's not going to be Victor Hedman, but if he could be Eric Carlson, that is a home run that I will be happy with hundred times out of a hundred. He just does not have that style of game. And I think that trying to force him into doing that took away from what makes his game great, which is his offensive creativity, his ability to take the puck and stick handle it up the ice or to make a great breakout pass right off the bat, like coming out of a, you know, in, in a transition. I mean, he is just that kind of guy. He's a smooth skater. He is great with the puck on his stick, offensive minded. And I do not need him to be like Victor Hedman. I don't need him to be Nicholas Yarmelson. I don't need him to be this defensive defenseman. Let him be him. Let him play to his strengths, play to the, re- like to the things that really made him a consensus number one overall defenseman, which is a very rare thing, as we all know, even looking at Owen Power last year, even though a lot of people had him at the top of the rankings, I think it's pretty fair to say that he was not like the consensus. Everybody knew that this guy was the surefire number one pick. Darlene was the opposite. You even had a guy like right behind him and Andre Sveshnikov, who has now shown to be a, a really productive, solid star winger in this league, but Darlene was the guy wholeheartedly and it wasn't because he was a defensive powerhouse it was because of his offensive creativity and what he is able to do with the puck on his stick so Ralph Kruger gets fired Don Granado comes along and again a great point you had made Jared was the unlearning that he really had to do where it took him a little bit before he really started to catch his stride and you know we got to keep in mind that this is only going to be going into his fourth full season in the league This guy has some growing to do still too, you know, with forwards, a lot of times with younger guys, once they hit around like 23 or 24, the, the vast majority of cases, you know, you are already at where you're going to be. And and with Darlene and with defensemen in general, it takes them a little bit longer to season and a little bit longer to really get to what their peak performance is. And so now you have a guy in Granado behind the bench who wants Darlene to play the style of game that has brought him success throughout his career, both on the professional level, as well as on the amateur level. And I mean, the the sky's the limit for him. I think right now, you know, he's going to be getting these first, the first pairing minutes that we've been wanting, you know, last year, we really started to see that too down the stretch where he was starting to get the the wrist aligning minutes, you know, where he he's playing 25 minutes a night. And when you are investing a first overall pick in a guy that should be the, the, the minimum expectation is that he's able to handle those minutes. So with Darlene, you know, do you guys agree in that, that you don't need him to be like defensively minded? I mean, of course, obviously with him being a defenseman, that's, that's kind of a, an important part of, of, you know, his position, but is it more about the offense here? Is it more about getting him more engaged on the offensive zone? And, you know, if he is a guy that's going to be putting up 60 points a year, are you okay with him sacrificing some of that, uh, you know, th- that play in the defensive end? Yeah, I think that, you know, the offense is always just going to be sort of the focal point with Darlene. But honestly, I think that, you know, I think he will eventually end up settling into being a much better defensive player. 
Um, you know, similarly to Middlestat and, you know, some of these other young guys that, you know, have come up and maybe struggled defensively. I think that, you know, obviously him too, he's playing so many minutes and going to be getting even more now with Ristolainen gone and McCabe gone. But he's a guy that while, you know, 100% you're correct in saying that, you know, he was number one overall because of his offensive ability. At the same time, like, he was still touted for his two-way ability. And I think that he does still have that in him. I think, again, similarly to Middlestad, I think that he he is a really smart player and then he's going to be able to figure it out when the when his body sort of catches up to him. I'm a little bit worried about that this year, as I just mentioned with Ristolainen gone now and McCabe. You know, having that extra responsibility, like will we still see him as electric offensively if he's a bit more worn down in games, not even just from you know, necessarily, you know, playing defense against other teams, great players, but just having more minutes and, you know, not being fully developed um, physically yet. So I think it'll be interesting to see that. I think uh, Yoki Haru, I don't know if we'll talk about him at all, but I think, you know, him and him and Darlene have done a great job since they've been put together. I think uh, that that'll be, you know, the top pair to start the year and um, hopefully a top pair for a long time. I think those guys both work off each other well. I think neither of them is necessarily like, you know, a solidified, just like focus on defense type of guy, because even with Yogi Haru, we see like, you know, the, the, the breakout passes and he's really good at the point, really good at getting shots through also just a really smart player. Um, but I think Yogi Haru, you know, just in that context of that pairing will be more of the defensive guy and Granada will sort of continue what he did last year in giving Darlene sort of the free reign to go up ice and, be that player that you mentioned, but, you know, I really don't think it's always going to be, you know, the current version of that we see of him now where he is just such a offensively focused player that, um, you know, there's so many lapses in the defensive zone. I think that he is smart enough and he is talented enough that that's going to round out. I think even just like from a physical standpoint, he's always been like an extremely aggressive defenseman and he does try and assert himself physically. He just, I don't think, he's had, you know, the endurance or the strength to be able to do that. And I think that combined with some of the, the Kruger stuff that we've talked about, you know, combined to take away from his offense and being, you know, that fully touted number one pick that um, we were sort of all promised. But I think, you know, that player's in there. I don't think there's really anything to worry about with him. I'm interested to see, you know, what his point totals, you know, whether they can reach what, um, his play will illustrate just not having a guy like Eichel on the power play anymore and the team just probably not being, you know, top on the top half of the league, you know, and goal scored. But I think, you know, we are going to sort of see him continue to take that step as an elite offensive defenseman. But I also think that, you know, as time goes on, that the, the back end part of the game is going to round out too. Yeah, um, I mean, you made a lot of really good points there. I'd just like to say RIP to my dreams of Darlene and Morgan playing together. Um, right, because that I, was, I agree. I, that would have ideally been like my day one pairing. Same. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I like Yoki Haru. I think he's more, I don't think he's like a top pairing defenseman. Like, if he works well with Darlene, you kind of have to do it. But um, I would much prefer him like as maybe like a second pairing guy. Like, I always kind of thought like Jake McCabe and Henry Okiharu would kind of been like a, a good pairing there. But anyway, um, when it comes to Darlene, I think Jared mentioned that before, like, he, I think Darlene last year under Kruger was more worried about 
what position do I need to be in? How do I need to have my stick angled? And he's like thinking way too much in the defensive end because there are sometimes, oh man, like he was, it was bad last year. Like he was missing assignments and missing guys and fumbling. With, it was just, it was really bad. I think he was just thinking way too much instead of just kind of going out there and playing. Um, you know, I, I, I think there is the two-way player in there. I, I, I don't think there's just like an offensive defenseman there. Um, you know, I think it was his first game was against the Bruins, if I'm not mistaken. And like on his first shift, he laid some dude out. I think it was like Ryan Donato or something like that. Absolutely laid him out. He has all these aspects that will show them. Like he always has the skating, the stick handling, the, um, the agility, you know, shots gotten better. But, you know, other aspects of his game where it's, you know, just kind of being able to cut off passing lanes a lot better. Um, using his body more um, I've always kind of been and just because he is so agile that like his straight line speed isn't great but you like Jared mentioned also it's he does kind of seem like the endurance needs to get a little bit better you know the straight line speed and the you know the ability to get those quick first three four five steps um, would, would help him a lot but I mean it's just unlearning the things that went so wrong under Kruger, not thinking so much and, and worrying about, you know, and, and it's kind of like Granado's making a lot of subliminal like shots at Kruger, whereas like he's not worried about getting screamed at or he's not worried about losing ice time or getting benched because I'm pretty sure he got benched last year for like the better part of like a period, I think like a third yeah. period. So he was just having a rough game and he got benched. Yep. It's just not going to happen under Granado. Um, one of the things that I liked seeing, uh, it was like a, a video. They were talking to for Lunda guys and talking about Darlene. It was before he was drafted and his coach was like, I want you to mess up. And Granado's kind of said the same thing. He's not saying I want you to mess up, but he's like, I want you to try things because then you know if you can actually do them or improve upon them or figure out better situations to do what you did there. Um, and I think just having that confidence from Granado is going to make worlds of difference. So at this point, oh, excuse me. Um, but at this point, I mean, I, I think you're you're kind of looking at a, a situation where you're, you're just not going to see the same Darlene from last year. It's just going to be better. I don't know how much better. I don't know with like a worse roster, like how much that's going to affect him. But I just I can't see it going any worse than last year, especially like the start of the season stuff like he did pick it up. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I just – I think he can get back to the form he was in. Um, now, again, he is one player. Uh, he, he will be seeing a lot of ice time, probably 20-plus minutes, but he is one player, and he needs a lot better players around him. But, um, I mean, he'll be putting up points on the power play. You have Olofsson, and, um, you know, he'll be the pivot up there. So you have that going for you. Um, as long as he can kind of clean up the defensive side of the game um, where he's not thinking as much and just kind of reacting and, you know, communicating with his teammates because they all just kind of seemed like we don't know what we're doing out here, but we're in the defensive zone. So it feels like we're doing the right thing kind of, and we'll find out later, obviously, if we did something wrong. So, I mean, I, I think it's just one of those, it's just one of those situations where it couldn't have gotten any worse. So there's no way that it's going to be as bad this year. So I would expect a big jump from him. Um, and I think, I mean, it's needed because there's no wrist alignment. There's no McCabe. It's him. So, I mean, this is uh, this is a big year for him. Um, also, when it comes to his contract, I, you know, people are like they really messed up not giving him a long term contract. Maybe he didn't want one. You know, maybe he's trying to see in this next three years, like, hey, I'm you know going to kind of see what's going on here, you know, and see if we're actually progressing or because like there's been a couple failed rebuilds and he wants to see if this one's actually going to work. So like, I can see why 
Bristol uh, and Dalim was basically saying, like, I'm not signing more than like three, maybe four years. He's still an RFA. That's good. Um, I would hope that they learn their, their mistake from the, the Reinhardt situation. We'll sign him long term if, if it all works out and he wants to stay like Reinhardt wanted to stay. Um, so I, I just I think it's going to be a good year for him. Um, you know, it's going to be kind of relative to the team success, too, obviously, because he's only one player. But. Um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, the, the chains have been, you know, taken off. He's been unshackled. And, um, he's not going to be dumping the puck. He's not going to be like forbidden to taking the puck over the red line, essentially. So that's exciting. I'll take that at least. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think too, there's something to be said about him having a, this is his first full off season going into a season where he has a seemingly competent coach too. Um, you know, having the end of the year that he had under Granado, you know, and then getting to have this off season where, I mean, let's be real here. He knew coming, he, he knew all summer and coming into this season, what this year is going to be like for him specifically, you know, in terms of the responsibility that's going to be put on him, the, the minutes that are going to be put his way. And also just, as you had said, as you both had said, the trust that Granado has in him to, you know, not only be productive, but just to go play his game and just to, make mistakes and knowing that it's okay if he does that if it's you know means that he's trying something new or he's trying to push the envelope a bit there and and I will just say my thoughts on the contract to solely come down to whether or not the Sabres offered him or were pushing like really tried to give a push for like a long-term deal because I completely understand from Darlene's perspective not wanting to sign long-term given you know points to everything that's happened in the past 10 years but to me, it's like if you were not doing everything in your power to try and get this dude to sign a long-term deal, it is a colossal failure given what they just went through with Reinhardt and the fact that they are walking him now to the exact same place where Reinhardt was this offseason. So, you know, I, I would like to think that knowing that this season likely next season to a lesser extent aren't going to be the best that by like year three of the deal, his final year of the deal, that they'll be really ready to be at a jumping off point there. But man, if it ends up coming out that that was not strongly, strongly pushed for, it is just a, it's an organizational failure to, to allow something like that to happen and to potentially have to relive the Reinhardt situation all over again. But again, that all remains to be seen. So I have to think like I have to think with that specific situation, like Terry was adamant about Eichel getting eight years when apparently Bottero wanted to bridge him. Same thing with Jeff Skinner. He wanted to get the eight years. I would be very surprised if Terry wasn't like try like we have to try to at least get the eight eight years. And what held it up is Dowling's just like, no, man, sorry, not doing it. That's just pure speculation, obviously. But that's just what I think. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, one thing that's interesting about the contract is something that Bill said, and that's like keeping expectations for him relative to where the team's at. And obviously the team isn't expected to be very good, even in the next three years, probably. So I think, you know, as I touched on, you know, I think that he's a better defensive player than um, he sort of gets credit for. I think even sort of looking at last year when he, you know, plus minus, I'm not advocating for this to be a useful stat in any regards, but a lot of people point to, yeah, he was worst in the NHL and plus minus, you know, looking at his defensive, uh, his defensive play and trying to analyze that when, you know, I think that can't be 
sort of, um, you know, what you're scaling it on and what you're, you're basing it on, you know, over these next three years, because the team isn't expected to be very good. And even if he does take big steps in his game defensively, he's still going to be playing top minutes on a team that isn't expected to be very good. And I think that something like plus minus and even some of these other um, more advanced metrics and whatnot, I think, you know, it's not going to always reflect the best defensive play, but I think, you know, just continuously seeing improvement over, uh, from him over these next three years uh, will be important. And it, it'll be interesting to see where they go with that next contract. Absolutely. Could not agree more. So let's, you know, we had just talked about him before. Let's talk about his seemingly, you know, defensive partner here in Henry Yoki Haru. You know, while we're still kind of waiting to see what Yoki Haru's ceiling is, I think one thing we probably all could agree on is that we totally won that trade. Uh, hope Chicago is having fun with Alex Nylander. Um, but, you know, Yoki Haru, I think, is the kind of guy that, Bill, you had touched on it a bit, that he may not be a top pairing guy, but that's okay because he could be a really good second pair defenseman where he's not going to, you know, blow the roof off offensively or anything, but he can contribute offensively. He's not like a, a lame duck out there. And also he's no slouch in his own zone too. Um, you know, he has a lot of room for growth in his game and it's, you know, it's weird with him. I don't know if it's just me, but he, he just, for whatever reason, seems like a guy that's like been around longer than he actually has. Um, but I have uh, a lot of faith in Yoki Haru too, you know, even though he may be getting like first line minutes or first pairing minutes, I should say, excuse me, this upcoming season, he to me feels like a guy that could end up being a really good second pair defenseman and like firmly in his prime when this team is ready to compete. What do you guys think? Go ahead, Bill. Uh, yeah. I mean, I just kind of had this thought and I, you know, I haven't really hashed it out, but I mean, I could definitely see like a pairing of like Owen Power and Henry Yoki. Are you, I mean, that's, that's kind of like a, a pairing that you can see like really excelling at getting the puck out of their zone. I mean, Yoki Haru has always been a really good passer um, underrated shot. It's like kind of like a lax in the thing where like he's decent at getting the puck through, um, you know, maybe he has a slight hesitation or he's kind of like aiming a little bit off the net and hoping for a tip, but I think he's really good at that too. Um, you know, my, my comments about him not being like a first pairing defenseman should be taken as a slight because like, that's a, that's a really tough role. And to be a top four defenseman in the NHL, like you're ridiculously good. So um, I think we've kind of covered, like he is solid defensively too, but I, I want to go back to kind of like making the point about Yoki Haru and McCabe. Like I thought that would have been a, like a good pairing simply because the strengths of McCabe can kind of be, um, you know, masking the, the weaknesses of Yoki Haru and vice versa, because uh, like I said, Yoki Haru is really like a stretch passer. I, I mean, maybe Rasmus Dahlin, obviously, but I don't want anyone else making stretch passes besides those two. Like maybe Will Butcher. I don't really know all too much about his ability to do that, but there are certain things that you, Yoki Haru is really, really good at. And he's just solid. Like with the trade with uh, for Nylander, um, for, for Yoki Haru, it was that Nylander has a higher ceiling, but he has like a lower floor. The thing with Yoki Haru is he has a higher floor, but it seems like a lower-ish ceiling. Like Nylander has like a ceiling of like a first ball had, I guess you'd say at the time, of like a first line scoring winger. And like, that's ridiculous. And Yoki Haru is more like a, yeah, I mean, technically like a bottom four or bottom four defenseman, which again is the second and third pairing. Like 
that's pretty solid. Like I'll, I'll definitely take that. And you know, Landers seems like he's kind of flaming out and um, definitely won the trade. But when it comes to like this season, um, like I said before, like if he is the best partner for Darlene, that's de- definitely do it. If, it. if that means playing first line minutes or first pairing minutes, go for it. Um, I, I think it's one of those where I would like to see him play more on the penalty kill too, because it doesn't seem like he he might be like the pivot on the second pairing for a power play. But besides that, um, you know, I just think he's like a really solid guy to have. Like you said, he seems like he's been around for a lot longer. He just plays a, a more mature game than, than you would expect from someone his age. And that's going to be useful for the Sabres. Um, he also kind of seems like a, a like an Asplund or a Roots Alignin where you can kind of plug him first pairing or he can play in the third pairing too. So I like his versatility too. So um, when it comes to like if what determines like a really good year for him, I'd say just kind of finding finding a partner that he sticks with for a while like Darlene and, and really just kind of helping that player produce, whether it's say it's someone like, I don't, I don't know, like Kyle Miller, Will Butcher, kind of like playing off them and, and getting the best out of each other and, and masking each other's weaknesses. So again, it's going to be who he's matched up with. But if it's Darlene, like you're not going to hear any complaints with me because they really started to turn it on, especially um, once Granado took over, took over. And if they can do that again, I mean, that's just going to be, that's going to be good for the both of them. And, and if they can, you know, create that relationship with each other, they both have three-year contracts. Maybe they can kind of convince each other to stick around and, and, and see this rebuild through. So um, I think it's a, it's a good situation for, for Yoki Haru to be with Darlene, even though he's someone that's versatile and can go up and down the lineup. Darlene can too, but, you know, speaking of Yoki Haru, I think he can kind of plug and play anywhere. Yeah, I think, Bill, you made a really good point about Yoki Haru's floor uh, in, in regards to that trade. You know, I was a big fan of Yoki Haru uh, when they traded for him and when he was back playing for Finland at the World Juniors and just a prospect. And, I, you know, I was really happy about that trade when it was made because, you know, as you mentioned, it's kind of funny. The reason they traded him uh, was because the right side of that defense in Chicago was pretty stacked. And, you know, they had guys like Adam Boquist in front of him, who's now been traded, and Ian Mitchell. And really, they thought that Yoki Haru was expendable because of the offensive upside of the other two guys. And Yoki Haru was more of a floor player. And, you know, we'll see how they all play out. As of right now, I think everyone would kind of project Yoki Haru to be the best player out of that uh, group of three. Boquist is still sort of hit or miss. Um, you know, similar to Darlene in that draft, he was sort of touted as a, uh, you know, highly offensive player. And I think unlike Darlene, you know, Boquist is small and he's a bit more on the boomer bust side uh, when it comes to, you know, projecting him in the NHL. But, you know, I think that, you know, you made a lot of good points um, just in regards to Yoki Haru being, you know, a very similar um, player to a lot of, you know, the forwards in the sense that he can move up and down the lineup. Um, he's probably a good complement for more of an offensive guy, um, but also could play with a, a defensive guy as well. It's kind of funny. You keep reading my mind, but even earlier in our discussion, I was thinking, you know, he could be a potential uh, good future partner for, for Owen Power. Um, just sort of supplementing each other's strengths and neither of them are overly offensive or bad defensively and, and vice versa. So, yeah, I think, you know, Darlene and him will be your, your top pair that you look at at the start of the year. I don't really see hopefully any situation where Colin Miller challenges Yoki Haru for that, that top pairing role, at least at the start of the year, as we've mentioned, obviously it would be great to have a guy like Borgen in there. And, you know, it's interesting that the left side of the defense is so much more, stacked than the right side because 
you know, you would see someone uh, potentially, you know, sliding in there. But I think Yogi Haru is a guy that, you know, for the most part, everyone knows what they're getting. And um, I think, you know, we'll see his offense, you know, for the people that maybe aren't as familiar with him, I think they'll see, you know, a bit more of the flash um, on the offensive side of his game. You know, as you mentioned, uh, breaking out the puck, he's really, I think Laxanen, as you mentioned as well, Bill, is a really good, you know, comparison uh, when it comes to just like walking the blue line, getting shots through, uh, really smart when it comes to just like offensive awareness. So I'm excited to keep watching him. And he's a guy I don't think you have to worry too much about moving forward, but you also have room to still get excited about what he can grow into. Yeah, I think those are two, a couple of great points from the both of you there that uh, especially like as you both had kind of touched on like the low um, or he has a higher floor, I should say, than than most even honestly, probably like of these young guys on the team. You know, he's just a really solid two way guy that doesn't do anything particularly like super well. That's like the key hallmark of his game, but also doesn't do anything poorly enough where it's like this is a glaring thing that he really needs to fix. So, yeah, I think that it's it's cool. He's just like a solid player that is okay to get a little bit excited about and to, to wrap up on on the blue line too i know i had originally said about doing four guys but i want to just cut it down to three here the last one that i want to talk about that i think we briefly did mention here is uh one of the new additions to the sabers and that's will butcher so butcher had a, is, is a bit of an interesting case here because of course as we uh, most of us know i'm sure coming out of college he was very highly touted uh, especially for his his offensive abilities um his rookie year with the with the Devils, he ended up putting up 44 points in 81 games and then kind of progressively from there fell off a little bit more and more with each season. Um, his second year, he put up 30 and 78. Third season, he put up 21 and 56. And then last season, his most recent season, he played 23 games and put up 11 points. So, you know, he's uh, a, a little bit under like a half a point a game guy and has been throughout his career. Definitely has, has fallen off quite a bit from as, you know, highly regarded as he was in his rookie season in 2017, 2018. But with that being said, now he comes to a situation in Buffalo where he's going to have every opportunity to turn this around. And you would think probably off the bat, of course, we'll see once we get a little bit further into the preseason here, but he seems like the ideal player to be patrolling the blue line on the second power play unit for one, I, I would say definitely. I mean, of course, Darlene has that first uh, power play unit locked down, but, you know, it, 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 it's hard to believe that a guy who is, you know, has only played four seasons in the league could have that sharp of a, of, of a fall off. And part of me wonders if, you know, getting him out of New Jersey and, and you know, even though our, our boy Lindy is there now, love Lindy Ruff, but, you know, New Jersey is kind of known for a, a particular style of play, I guess. And, some guys who have had offensive success then go to New Jersey and don't have that same success there. And if, at least looking at recent guys, even though they're, you know, on the other ends of their career, PK Subban and Sammy Vatanen come to mind where, you know, offensively defensive defensemen who go to New Jersey and don't really replicate those same results that they maybe had. And again, I understand with them specifically, you know, you can definitely bring up age and I get that, but um, butcher just, you know, not to use a, a hockey cliche or a sports cliche in general, but he seems like the kind of guy that could really use a change of scenery. You know, it really needed it. I should say not even could use, he needed a change of scenery. So, you know, do you think that butcher is a legitimate bounce back candidate or do you think that this, you know, 
we'll call it downward trajectory of his career is kind of who he is right now. Yeah, I think that it's going to be interesting because I think he's almost going to be on the hot seat a little bit um, to start this year. Um, he's a guy, honestly, I was watching him close last night and I, I tweeted before the game that I was going to you know, just be watching him just because, as you mentioned there, I think that he's a, a prime candidate to, to be the quarterback of that second power player. It's something he was really good in college. And as you mentioned, obviously, he's more known as an offensive type of guy. Um, you know, I honestly didn't think he had that great of a preseason game. He played like 28 minutes, which, you know, for him, obviously, you're not going to be expecting that. So I think naturally in there, you know, he probably had more lapses than you're typically used to. But I think, you know, I said that I think he's going to be on the hot seat a little bit there in the beginning of the season. And really the only reason I say that is a point that I mentioned a few questions ago, and that's just how stacked the left side of the defense is. Um, I think, you know, Matias Samuelson is a guy that is going to sort of give some opportunity to Butcher, being that, you know, Samuelson is injured right now. So Butcher will probably start the season on that third pairing. But I think looking um, at that, that third spot, you have Will Butcher, you have Robert Hag, you have Jacob Bryson, you have Matias Samuelson. So, you know, you have a handful of guys there that all are relatively unproven, especially, you know, in the, the last three, Robert Hag, you know, a little bit more of what he is, but at the same time, he's the same, you know, same situation uh, when it comes to, to change of scenery. He may come in and outperform a guy like Butcher, but you probably won't see a guy like him, you know, patrolling the power play as, as we've talked about. But I think you know, Butcher is going to have to prove and said, you know, I'm going to play as much as I can in preseason and he wants to play a lot. So I think that'll be interesting. I think, you know, again, as I mentioned, he played 28 minutes last night. I think they're going to keep giving him all the opportunity in the preseason to see what he can do. And, um, you know, I think if he can stick uh, in the NHL this year and, and have a good season, you know, that'd be, that'd be great and certainly welcomed. But I also think that you don't have to, that too much on him just because you sort of have those other guys and you know especially more younger guys that are sort of in the pipeline waiting uh, and can take over if you know things don't necessarily go great with him yeah kind of piggybacking piggybacking off of what brendan said like this really is like a situation where he is like jared said on a hot seat but he's also like needing a change of scenery and i think this is even more so than olafson like a situation where he comes here, he gets his legs back on during he starts playing better. And then some playoff team who's maybe had a defenseman go down. They're like, this, this guy's picked it back up this year, you know, give him a lesser role and, and kind of see, you know, say he's playing top four minutes here, um, you know, make him, you know, the, the fifth defenseman playing on the third line for, um, for like a playoff contender or something like that, or, or a Stanley cup contender. Um, we have to remember that the Sabres got him for literally nothing. So if they can bring something back for him, that's massive. Um, if he sticks around uh, and signs maybe a couple of years or something like that, I feel like he could probably, as long as he does get his skates back under him and he kind of gets back to a form where he was before, I think he could be like a good supplement, supplemental piece behind Darlene. But again, like Jared said, like that left side's getting getting kind of crowded and no one power is going to be here and, the next couple of years and, and can kind of force butcher. So I think they have to kind of realize like, uh, are these guys going to, you know, Samuelson, uh, Bryson, like you said, power, uh, anyone else on that left side, like, are they going to kind of bypass him? And then is he going to be, if they resign him for like two or three years, is that, are they going to find themselves in a situation like crap? We don't know where to put you. 
Um, so I, I think the biggest thing is even more than Olofsson, I think he's the trade chip, the deadline, find a team that he's get an asset back for someone that you didn't pay anything for. It's like the same thing with Taylor Hall, same thing with Sam Reinhart. Like if, the, if he's not coming back, get something for him. Like even if you have to, and, and maybe take on a bad contract from his team that they're like, this guy's really falling off or he's injured. Something, something's going on. Take back a bad contract. Maybe you can get, I mean, you're not getting a first round pick for Will Butcher, but maybe you can get like a conditional third where if he plays a certain amount of games in the playoffs, it turns into a second or something like that. Like you're getting something for someone who helped you out this year, filling out your team and getting you up to the cap floor and kind of got his feet back under him. And then you're able to, to kind of move from there. So I think it's, he is the biggest trade chip opposed, depending on, you know, how Olsen plays. Cause he is one too, but he's like the other one that I can see the Sabres moving on from depends on who they play him with. I feel like at this point, it's gotta be Colin Miller, right? Like it's gonna be Darlene, Yoki, Haru, Butcher, Miller, and then Bryson, Hag or something like that. Someone's gonna have to play on their off wing. That's what I'm assuming it would be. So, Pesic too. Yeah. Pesic, yeah. Pesic, yeah, that's right. So um maybe he plays with Pesic and, and Pesic's a you know a, a decent skating defensive defenseman. So kind of see what happens there, but I really do think Will Butcher's a trade chip. Um, I I don't think he would necessarily like he actively chose not to come to Buffalo. And I know it's a long time ago and stuff like that, but like to to think that he really, really wants to stay, like I mean, maybe things can change, but I would assume that he would be if the Sabres are going to be trading someone at the deadline, it would be Butcher. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Great, great points there, guys, on that. Um, I mean, that really wraps up for defense. I, I know we said we were going to talk about goalies, but what is there really to say? You know, <laughs> looking at Craig Anderson and Aaron Dell seemingly are like the one-two punch that we're going to be dealing with here for uh for at least the first part of the season um you know it, it seems like this staff and the front office is giving UPL every chance to steal a job which would be great if that ends up happening I think but I don't really think that it's any uh any sweat if it doesn't and if he ends up in Rochester hopefully he just dominates down there and pretty much forces them to call him up but I, I, there's not really a whole lot to say about the goalies right now just considering one we don't really know who it's going to be even though it seemingly is is Dell and, and Anderson and if it is Dell and Anderson we know what we have you know we, we know what's there so it, also on top of that we've been going for quite a bit here and I don't want to keep taking up so much of your guys time so first and foremost I want to thank you both for coming on um, can you guys just each briefly tell people where they could find you online go ahead Bill uh yeah you can find me at bill tcb uh, on twitter um also co-host of the saber metrics podcast you can find that on twitter um spotify and uh like apple Podcasts. pretty much anywhere you can get podcasts um i do that with walt who's also part of the tcb gang um he's at saber metrics um you know thanks for having us on brendan again super happy to have you and uh yeah uh, we'll, we'll get together again and uh i want my rematch in trivia Game on, game on. Yeah, and then uh, if you want to find my my personal, reach out, hit me up, talk some Sabres, talk some sports, whatever, some crypto. Um, <laughs> uh, you can find me at uh, Jared Halt. And then uh, all of our Sabres stuff is at The Charging Buff on Instagram and Twitter. You'll be able to see a beautiful podcast like this on there now twice a week, as well as, well as all of our other editorial content, uh, graphics, videos, highlights, everything that you could possibly want if you're a Sabres fan. So definitely check us out. And make sure to leave a nice rating on this uh, this podcast as well. 
Ooh, I agree. Great advice there, Jared. Well, guys, again, I just want to thank you both so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure getting to chat with you. And I'm sure that this will be the first of many appearances for the both of you this upcoming season. And again, on behalf of both myself and Taylor, like, thank you so much for having us on board at the Charging Buffalo. Um, you know, we can't say enough good things about just, you know, what you guys have been doing there and what you've been building and, and just what a great crew you've assembled as well. And we're just really, really stoked to be a part of it and very appreciative of, uh, of being on board. So looking forward to, to good things this season off the ice, even if the on the ice product isn't as good. But with that being said, everybody, thank you all so much for tuning into this episode of Straight Up Sabres presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. Again, make sure you're checking out DraftKings and using our promo code THPN. And we will be back with a brand new episode for you on Monday. And Taylor will be back then, everybody. Thank you all so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you again soon. 